Praise God for His changing, transforming grace. Amen? Amen. All right, let's try this. I'm gonna, we're going to play a fill in the blank. Uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Okay, we were a little bit hesitant with that. Let's try it again. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. All right, <laughs> okay, that was okay. Uh, yeah, if you haven't put your trust in Christ, if you haven't experienced the, the transforming love of God, um, I invite you to talk to Eugene, uh, talk to me, talk to someone that you know um, has experienced God's grace because he's so much more than just someone that we come and um, we do certain things for. Right? He is a friend who changes us from the inside out and life will never be the same again uh, if we come into a real encounter in relationship with him. Uh, about 15 years ago, I had a life-changing uh, transformation in my relationship relational life. I got married about 15 years ago this October, and so when uh, Olivia and I got married, um, after, the, after that question of who am I going to marry, the, the next big question that came up was, uh, who's going to be your best man? Who's going to stand closest to you uh, on your wedding day? And so it, it, in a sense, it was a no-brainer because I have one older brother, uh, older brother, and he loves me and I love him, and he's the one person on earth who would do anything for me, and so having only one brother, it would make sense that it would be him. That was easy. But I also had a best friend uh, named Sam. Uh, we grew up and we just kind of met each other and really our friendship took off when we were in college. We um, played basketball together. We fell in love with Jesus together. We experienced like so many things together. And if there's another person on the earth at that time that would do anything for me, uh, it was my friend Sam. He was uh, literally, he was to me a brother from another mother. We talk about that, use that language a lot, but that's who he was to me. And so um, it was amazing for me to feel like I've got a brother, like a blood brother in uh, my older brother, and then I've got a friend who to me is like a brother. Right? That was a great gift to me, that I could have one uh, in my family and then one who felt like he was part of my family. So I ended up having both of them be my best men as we stood, uh, as I stood to uh, give my life to Olivia in the presence of God and all the witnesses who were there. And it was a great time of, of celebration and worship. As we are talking about the kind of friend that Jesus is, I want to put out this idea that whatever relationship you have on earth, whatever friendship you have on earth, whatever your familial relationships on this earth might be, Jesus desires to be to you a friend who is even deeper than family, right? Deeper than your biological family, that he wants to be all that and so much more. As we look at Mark chapter 1, what I want to do is I want to remind you what we've talked about the first three weeks in this simple idea that Jesus and, and, and the idea of friendship with Jesus is not merely an idea, that Jesus is not just a perfect friend personified. He's not just an idea of a really good friend. Jesus is a person who wants to be your friend, and if you allow him to be your best friend, everything in life will be different. Everything in life will be different. And so I want to talk about a friendship that Jesus has that as I was reading this, I was like, mm, <laughs> that's so good. This is so delicious. I'm not eating cereal. We're reading the Word of God. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 39 to get the geographical context. It says, talking about Jesus, so Jesus, he traveled throughout Galilee, which you know maybe is in the northern part of Israel. Galilee is the countryside area. It's the place where Peter, the fisherman, is from, okay? There's Galilee, and then all the way in the south 
is Judea, where Jerusalem is. So Galilee is the countryside, not highly populated. Jesus is there preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And verse 40 says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, the once leprous man, instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is the delicious, delectable, life-transforming Word of God for the people of God. What's going on here? Well, there's a man with leprosy. I don't know if you know much about leprosy. I don't know if you know anyone with leprosy. Chances are you don't. You've never met a person with leprosy, perhaps. I never have either. But I remember when I was in high school, I was learning about leprosy in church at our youth meeting. Pastor had talked about leprosy. I don't remember anything about it, but I just remember at the end of the time, I was like, dude, having leprosy would be the worst thing. Leprosy is awful. And so my friends and I who were there together, we kind of came up with a phrase, came up with a saying. Whenever someone was complaining about life or someone was going through a hard time, we would, in our, our dude's effort to try and comfort them, we would say, hey, at least you don't have leprosy. <laughs> at least you don't have leprosy. What if... You did have leprosy, though. If you did, it was a death sentence pronounced on your life. What I want to do is I want to just give you two thoughts up front, two thoughts that we're going to see through this passage, and then I just want to walk through this passage to help us to understand its context so that we can see how and why this is such good news, not only for the leper, but for people just like you and me. Two thoughts here. The first thing is this. Jesus longs to heal you, but... He has far more in mind than just a physical healing. Jesus longs to heal you, but he has far more in mind than just a physical healing. That's the first thing. The second thing that we see is that Jesus loves you more than anyone else could ever love you, and he would, he'd be willing to switch places with you to show you that love. There's something to that effect in your, in, your, in your handout, in your bulletin, if you want to fill in the blanks. But the first thing is that Jesus longs to heal you, but he's after far more than your physical healing. Second, Jesus loves you more than anyone else could ever love you, and he'd be willing to switch places, trade places with you. So what do we see? The life of a leper uh, was, for all intents and purposes, it was a, the, the life of an outcast. Think of the most outcast person that you know, the most outcast uh, kind of people in society. You think about them, that's what a leper would be. Um, most people would compare uh, leprosy back in the day of Jesus to uh, people who, who struggled with AIDS in the 80s and the 90s when we didn't know much about the virus, when people would be afraid to go near uh, those who had uh, AIDS. That's kind of a picture of leprosy, but it was far more than that. The life of a leper is interesting because at one point, a leprous person was a non-leprous person. You might say that they're a healthy person. Some might even consider them to be a normal person, even though there's nothing abnormal per se about a person with leprosy. 
But a person with leprosy, just like, just like you and just like me, okay, just like Daniel, just like Lena, just like Greg, just like you and me, we're just normal people. We're normal people, and then one day, something happens. Okay, something happens. From wherever it happens, we wake up in the morning and we feel like, I've got a bite on my arm. It feels like a bug bite. It feels like a mosquito bit you. And so you don't think anything of it until the next morning when that thing has gotten bigger and it's turned white. And you begin to realize, well, this burns. This burns more than a mosquito bite ought to burn. I need to get some medicine on. You put something on it, and then it begins to spread. The next morning, you wake up, and you've got a dot, a white splotch on your face, and you're like, what in the world is going on? And then you begin to fear for the worst. The next morning, you wake up and taking a, a bath or a shower, and you've got marks all over your body, and the initial wounds begin to blister and begin to fester, and they begin to be painful and begin to be sore and begin to burn within you. All of a sudden, within a couple days, it's all over you. It's all over your body. And I don't know how long this takes. There's, there's about three different kinds of leprosy. One that gives you nine years to live. Another one you could go up to 20 years back in the day, up to 20, 30 years with leprosy. Now, medical advancements have, have come and you can live with leprosy. It still affects your life in terrible and awful ways. But at that day, in these days of Jesus, it was a death sentence to you. You know that you weren't going to live long. So the physical pain that came as the leprous bacteria began to affect every part of your skin and made you constantly aware that you're no longer clean. I, I just want to talk about the physical effects of it right now. In time, the leprosy seeps through your skin and begins to attack the inner organs of your body, begins to shut down your nerves so that what once felt like a searing, burning pain no longer feels painful as your pain receptors get shut off and you no longer begin to feel anything. There's a numbness that comes over you. That's why you hear about lepers who will sprain their ankle, but they won't feel it. And so they'll continue walking on that sprained ankle until they can no longer walk. You wake up one morning with leprosy and you can't feel your feet on the ground and so you fall to the ground and you're like, what in the world is going on? And you begin to realize that your nerves have been eaten away by the leprous bacteria. There were stories of a, of a leper one who washed his face with scalding hot water but he didn't feel the, 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 the heat in the water and so not knowing that it was boiling water, washed his face, burned his eyes and went blind. There are countless stories of lepers who have gone through such pain because they could no longer feel, well, not pain, but did that kind of damage their bodies because they could no longer feel the pain within them because of uh, the leprosy that was spreading throughout their body. Leprosy began to affect the area around your ears and around your eyes and would bunch up the skin here in order that some people call leprosy a lion's disease where your face began to look more like a lion than it did like a human being. Not only that, the leprosy would affect your vocal cords, and so when you tried to talk, these would get shot also, and so your voice would become very coarse and very hoarse and very deep. And so if people could not see you by hearing your voice, they could probably make an assumption that that person is dealing with leprosy. A lady named Beth Moore, who's a, a Bible teacher in our day today, she said that she's always longed and prayed for the ability to go and minister to a leper, to a group of lepers. And so finally, after a long time of praying, she went to a leper colony in order to minister to them, but she could not walk into the colony because the smell that came from the lepers, she said, was unbearable. All of her heart, her desire to serve and love these people, but because of the festering wounds and the inability to shower, had made their stench unbearable even from hundreds of feet away. This is what happens to a leper 
at a physical level. And I want to, to help us to understand, I want to show you some pictures. And I, for some of you, this might be a little bit much. And so if you're the kind of person that's faint of heart, I invite you to not look at these pictures for a little bit. But I want to put up some pictures of modern-day people with leprosy. This is where you see the, the furrowing of the skin in his forehead. Um, and many times people like this would begin to look more like animals than like human beings. This next picture here shows a man whose eyes have been uh, affected by leprosy, his hands, his fingers, his digits as well. Another person whose fingers, his hands have been affected either by his own breaking of the fingers unknowingly or because of the mutations that happen in his fingers. Uh, a, a lady with leprosy that's affecting her eyes, her hands, her lips, everything about her. Another man with leprosy and the folding up of the skin. Uh, a lady whose eyes all over her skin, all that stuff. And then the final picture affecting her teeth, her eyes. Uh, these are pictures of people with leprosy. And so you see here it says a man with leprosy came to him in Luke's gospel. Remember Luke is a doctor. Okay, Luke is a doctor who many say may have observed this man. But in Luke 5.13, as it talks about this encounter that a man with leprosy has with Jesus, it says this man was covered with leprosy. Okay, that means this is late stage in the ball game for him. It's not just, hey, I just contracted leprosy, or I've had leprosy for a week. He's covered with leprosy. You see, the, the only thing worse about the physical pain that happens in the life of a leper is the social emotional pain. In fact, the deeper pain isn't physical. The deeper pain is the isolation that comes to a leper because as soon as a person is diagnosed with leprosy, Levitical law, chapter 13, chapter 14, says that this man, okay, this man, and anyone with leprosy has to be removed from the community. Either they would live in leper colonies or they would live on, in the countryside. This is why in Galilee where there's lots of room to roam, maybe they were out there, but by law, okay, by law, a leper could not be within six feet upwind of a person or 150 feet downwind from a person. So if you're walking and the wind is blowing behind you, okay, or the wind is blowing at your face, a leper has to be at least 150 feet from you. And if they're behind you, at least six feet from where you are. And everywhere the leper goes, he has to cry out, she has to cry out, unclean! I'm unclean so that everyone around them knew that this person was stricken with leprosy because not only was it an incurable disease, that if anyone was ever cured of leprosy, they would say, well, that's not going to happen. And if it is, it's a bigger miracle, as big a miracle as someone rising from the dead. So here's a leprous man screaming out unclean because nobody could get around anywhere within the vicinity of this person. There were priests who would carry around rocks so that if a leper got close enough, they would throw rocks at the leper to keep him or her a safe distance away from everybody else. They said if a leper were to peek his head into this room, then the entire room would become defiled and become dirty and could no longer be a house of worship. Wherever the leper went, that area became unclean. In the Middle Ages, when someone had leprosy, a priest would put on his robe and would lead a leper carrying a crucifix, would take him into, into a, a, a certain place, and he would read the funeral rites to that man or that woman as his way of saying, you are the living dead, the walking dead. That's who you are. 
Biblical times, a leper would have to, could not wash their hair, would have to keep their hair unkempt, would have to tear their clothes so that everybody knew they were one, unclean, two, a leper, and three, they were mourning as the attire of someone going to a funeral, and the funeral to which he was going or she was going was his or her very own. The life of a leper. So as a man like that, covered with leprosy, came to him and begged Jesus on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Saying, I've heard what you've been doing in the countryside of Galilee. I know you're a miracle worker. You're a way maker. You're a light in the darkness. I know you can do it, but the question is, will you do it? Will you do it? I know you can, but are you willing to do it for me? Are you willing to do it for me? Verse 41 says, filled with compassion. In other words, when Jesus looks at this leper, he doesn't see him the way that you and I do. Maybe your first reaction when you saw the pictures of the lepers was to gasp as if you'd seen something from the greatest showman. Other people, when they looked at these lepers, were filled with disgust. They were filled with anger. They were filled with uh, repulsion. But it says, Jesus, when he saw the leper, was filled with compassion. He saw his suffering, and he loved him, and he entered into that suffering. Other places, and maybe in the Bible you have right there, it says, filled with rage or anger or indignation. The earliest manuscripts actually say that Jesus was filled with a, an anger, an indignation, a, this, this rising up of, of just angry just emotion that comes out, and it says he's filled with that kind of rage. Why? It's the same reason that Jesus would stand in front of the tomb of a man named Lazarus, and Mary is weeping, and it says Jesus wept. It's that same language of righteous anger and indignation. Not, a, not merely a sadness, but an anger as he looked at the plight of how sin had affected people that he loved. So here's Jesus. Whether you read it, he's filled with compassion or he's filled with indignation. The reality is that Jesus is not unmoved by the brokenness in your life, in my life, in the life of this leper. When you come to Jesus, he doesn't stand stoically distant from you. It says, filled with compassion. Maybe, maybe Jesus remembered that every leper, before they were a leper, just a human being. No one called them a leper. No one defined them by their illness. They just said, that's a man. Maybe he remembered that this man once had a wife, once had children who when he came home from work his little girls would run up and say daddy you're home and would give them a hug and kiss them and daddy throw me in the air maybe they maybe he jesus jesus knew that he had a story that he had a little boy that would come home a boy who adored his daddy wanted to be just like him would go fishing with him in the sea of galilee would hang out with him would wait for him to come home would ask mom when daddy's coming home jesus maybe he saw that maybe he was filled with compassion because he saw the brokenness of sickness and sin and the way that affects people that Jesus cares about. That this man had a family perhaps and on the day he started seeing these outbreaks, the day that someone told him he's unclean, the day he found out was the worst day of his life because he had to say to his wife and to his children, daddy can no longer, I can sweetie, I can no longer be with you, I can no longer live with you anymore. And before he could give them a hug, the mommy stopped the kids and said, you cannot touch dad. You cannot touch him anymore. 
Maybe Jesus saw that and, and his final goodbye as the kids are crying and they're weeping. When will we see Daddy again? When will we see him again? And because the truth kills, he said, Dad, we'll be back in a month. Daddy, will be back in two months. And two months pass and three months pass. This man is now covered with leprosy. Maybe Jesus looked into the brokenness of his family and he was filled with compassion. But either way, Jesus did not see in the leper what everybody else saw when he looked at this man. See, the life of a leper, he was untouchable. He was unloved. He was unworthy. He was unacceptable. He was isolated. He was alone. And he was, had nobody to care for him. And he comes in, and he knows that Jesus can, but the question is, will he do it? Is he willing? He says, if you're willing, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It says, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Literally, when Jesus says, I'm willing, the question that he asked, the leper asked Jesus, and the reply of Jesus uses the same language, and the language is, is it your deepest desire? Is it your longing that I be made well? And Jesus says, my deepest desire, my greatest longing is that you be made well. And Jesus says, be clean. You see, Jesus longs for you to be healed, but he has far more in mind than just a physical healing. He's not a health and wealth preacher. Jesus has far more in mind than just a physical healing. Here's what Jesus is, and here's why we know that. Because you know that all it takes for Jesus to bring healing to somebody, he just needs to say the word. Right? You've seen this throughout the Gospels. A dude is sick. A dude's son is sick. Jesus says, all right, your faith has healed him. Go back home. He's going to be well. They find out when he was made well. They said at the exact time that Jesus said, all he needs, he can do long distance healing. Easy. Just say the word. Lazarus was four days. He was dead in the tomb. His body began to stink. Jesus said, come on out, come on out. And the dead man comes out walking. All he needs to do is say the word. But what does Jesus do? Here's why we know he's got far more in mind than just a physical healing. It says, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touch the man. Leviticus 5.13 says that even the lightest touch would make you unclean. This man hadn't been touched in years. There's a, a doctor named Paul Brand who did a lot of work amongst lepers in India. And uh, one time he talks about how he was in a medical tent treating a person with India, uh, in India with leprosy, and he was explaining the treatment plan. He put his hand on, the, on the, the young man's shoulder, and he began explaining the treatment plan. And as it was being translated into his uh, Hindi or Urdu, whatever his language was, this young man just started bawling. And Dr. Brand said, what did I say? What, was, what did I say? And the, the man began to, to answer him, and he said, I haven't felt human touch in years. Here's a touch of Jesus touching a person who hasn't experienced the touch of a man, a woman, a child, another human being in years. Because you see, Jesus is not just trying to cure the leprosy, he's trying to cure his soul. Not just trying to heal him physically, he's trying to heal him in every part of who he is. This is not just a finger on the shoulder kind of touch. When it says Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, literally means he grabbed him with a 
it was a long grasp. It was a clutch. And for the first time in who knows how long, the shock waves that go through this man's body. For the first time, he's feeling the goosebumps rise up as electricity pierces through him. And the man who once cried out, unclean, I'm unclean, looks at himself and the leprosy falling off of him and body parts growing back. And now he says, I'm clean. I'm clean because of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm willing. You can be made clean. And in a moment, in a moment, everything that was broken about his life experiences a new kind of healing. In that moment in time, now he can go back to his wife. He can go back to his children. He can see what they've been up to. They can share in their embrace. And all the years of pain fade away in a moment's touch because there's no friend like Jesus. You see, he's doing for this man what his family wouldn't even do, what his family couldn't even do, what no one could do. He loves this man in a way that no other person, his wife or his children, his mother or his father, ever could. And in this moment, the untouchable was touched at the deepest part. The unlovable was loved in the deepest way possible. The unworthy was made worthy. The unclean was made clean, and everything was changed. It's not just good news for a leper 2,000 years ago. This is good news for you, and it's good news for me, because whatever the disfigurements of life, you ever feel like a leper? You ever feel like I'm unworthy? Feel like you're alone? Feel like nobody cares? Maybe if I go to the, to the temple to, to wash... Or if I clean myself, maybe someone at the temple will love me. You come to church and you feel the same way, ostracized, outcast, alone, isolated, looked down upon because of something that you did, because of something that someone did to you, because of some way that you look and you feel like, what, where am I? Who am I? Where do I belong? And you feel like you're all alone. Nobody sees me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. This is good news, not only for lepers of 2,000 years ago, but for people like you and me. There is no one who will love you the way that Jesus does. No one will love you the way that he does. I remember being in the Dominican Republic years ago. And we were meeting in a gym kind of like this. And what we would do from the central base that is the church, we would go out to about 20 different villages and break up into 10 different groups. And each of us would go to a couple villages and we would bring in kids from all the surrounding villages into the gym. And so we would do VBS, like children's ministry, vacation Bible school, for about 1,000 different kids. And because they came from different areas, we had to make sure they got back to the same different areas without putting one kid on the wrong bus or separating them from their family. And so in order to do that, we had to color code bracelets with yarn. And so there was a group of red people that came from this neighborhood and a group of blue people from this neighborhood, group of orange people, and, and so on and so forth until a thousand kids came in with 20 different colors on their wrists made of yarn. Well, these elementary school kids all the way probably up until like seventh graders with yarn on them to represent where they're from. They didn't see these as merely a bus ticket back home. They saw this as the area in which they live. They saw this as this is my turf. And so when they came together on neutral ground, they said this is our turf war here. This is gang initiation. This is where we fight in order that we could establish territorial rights within this neutral ground that is the church. And so you've got five-year-old kids just going at it with each other, fighting in church. You've got third graders fighting 
throwing rocks at each other, all kinds of just havoc. No matter how much yelling, screaming, separating, pulling, singing, worshiping, preaching, teaching we did, there was always bound at any given moment to be a fight breaking out. It was a great thing that we had about 50 people able to break off all the fights that were going on. After the first day, we're like, man, we got to think of a better way to do this. This ain't working. Like thousand, it's just crazy. The second day, same thing happened. People are fighting until this one part in our program. I don't know why. I don't know whose idea it was. But from the stage, the group started singing a song. It's a song that was really well known at the time. It's a song called La Niña de Tus Ojos. Literally, it means the daughter of your eyes. It means the apple of your eye. A country like the Dominican Republic in the time we were there, they said that 60% of pregnant ladies were 14 years of age or younger. Many of the children in that country didn't know who their daddy was. I remember visiting with one lady. She had eight children, eight children from five different men, and these kids didn't know which one was their dad. And so you grow up with these needs. Every child grows up with a need to be loved by their mom and to be loved by their dad. And when you don't have that, you know the immense vacuum, emotional void within the heart. And everything we do is out of either fullness or lack. Everything we do is because we're satisfied or because we're in need. And when kids are in need, they do desperate things in order to get what they're lacking within their heart. And so these kids are fighting and these kids are arguing and these kids are punching and as soon as this song comes on it's almost like a magic spell fell across that room of a thousand children where people who were <laughs> ready to go at it they put their fists down it was like this voice was beckoning them and calling them kids sat down and they started singing it was a song that they all knew because everyone was singing it by heart in English, the song says something to the effect of, you saw me when no one else saw me. You loved me when no one else loved me. I am your daughter. Yo soy tu niña. The apple of your eye. La niña de tus ojos. And it says, I love you. Because you love me, I love you more than life. And as these kids sat down to sing, like some of them were Many of them had their eyes closed as they're singing at the top of their lungs. And the noise that was coming out from the kids about 30 seconds earlier was painful and shrill and harsh. But the sound coming from their lips was beautiful as they were singing, I'm the apple of your eye and I love you more than life. Many of them, the girls, the little girls were swaying back and forth. The boys were singing with their eyes tightly closed because something happens. When you go through life, feeling like I'm unloved, I'm unworthy, I'm unclean, nobody loves me. And then you begin to hear the soft sound of a Savior, the forgiving friend who tells you that you are loved and that you are cared for and that you're seen. And in this touch of Jesus, the leper for the first time feels seen and loved and cared for and worthy of affection. And in this moment, everything changes. Because immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cured. When you encounter Jesus, as your, our brother Eugene will tell you, when you encounter Jesus, everything is different. Everything changes. 
everything changes. And some of you are longing for a friend. And you've been hearing these messages over the past couple weeks, and it just feels like, man, it would be great if I really had a friend like that, though. If I really had a friend like that, you do, you can, he's willing. The question is, are you? Jesus wants to be this for you, the same way that he was for this man. Because, you see, the kind of friendship Jesus offers, the kind of message that's spoken in the gospel to this leper isn't only good for those who are living in leper colonies in developing nations. Because you see, what Jesus understood and what people throughout time have understood was that the disease of leprosy is the closest picture to our spiritual condition. That sin starts out small. You think I can deal with it, it's not a big deal, I can cover it up, nobody will ever find out, and then all of a sudden it begins to grow, and it begins to fester, and sin always has a way of separating you from each other, and your iniquities have separated you from your God as well, and it constantly does that until it overtakes you, until it becomes the death of you. Malcolm Muggeridge was a uh, British journalist, famed British journalist. He was married, had a wife and, and family, and he talked about the times where he was so often tempted in his travels as a journalist to cross the line of faithfulness to his marriage and the vows that he had made. He said he never did it for one reason or another until the time he was a journalist on a, on a, on a project in India. His family was back home in, in Great Britain, and he was in India. And every morning he would go out to the Ganges River for a swim. One morning as he was doing every morning, he would go out for a swim and he saw about 100 yards away in the distance, he saw a lady who was bathing, an Indian lady who was bathing with her back to him and, and he felt like no one will ever know, this is my chance, stolen waters are sweeter and forbidden fruit tastes better than the fruit that is in your hand already and so he went underwater and he swam as fast as he could, he says, trying to outswim his conscience as much as it was to outswim anything else. He'd never swam faster than that before in his life, and he came up out of the water about maybe from here to the camera away. Came out, uh, out of the water, and he scared the lady as she turned around. But the greater shock was not in the lady, it was in him. Because when he looked at the lady, he realized that he was looking into the face of a leper. Disfigured eyes, no nose. Her toothless grin reminding him of the disgusting nature not only of a disease called leprosy but of the horrors of our own leprosy of our soul. And as quickly as he could, he swam underwater and got back and he swam as fast as he could realizing that the truly leprous one was not her, it was his own heart. The message of this series is not, we need to be good to the lepers around us. The message of this series and the message of the gospel is that we are the leper, that I am the leper, you are the leper. Before we go and try to love with compassion and move with pity and indignation, we go and love the lepers around us. That's not the first thing. We don't always make ourselves to be Jesus, the hero. First, we have to realize that we are the leper, the broken. That's who we are. And in our brokenness, 
Jesus has come to us because he loves you more than anyone else could ever love you. Well, how much does he love? What did it cost Jesus? I mean, he, he touched him, yeah, but, 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 but Jesus, was, he's not going to get leprosy, is he? Jesus sent him away. Don't tell this to anyone. Show yourself to the priest. Don't tell anybody else. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely. Two things Jesus said. Number one, go to the priest and show yourself to him. Don't tell anyone else is the second thing. Don't tell anyone else. Just go show the priest. Why? Because the priest would know according to the teachings of Scripture that if anyone can heal a leper, it is God and God alone. And to the priestly class who needed to know who Jesus was as a testimony to them, Jesus is saying, go and show yourself to the priest. Because the leper did not do that, a significant opportunity of witness was lost. The kingdom of God would be thwarted in that group of people. The other thing Jesus said was, don't go and tell anybody. It says in verse 43, instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town. Why did Jesus tell not to tell anybody? Because he knew that if I begin, you begin to tell everybody, everyone's going to come. Everyone's going to come because they want a miracle, not because they want to hear the teaching of the kingdom. The time has not yet come for that to happen. As you tell everybody, you're expediting the process whereby which those who hate me are going to plot to kill me. And so it says, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. At the beginning of this encounter, you have a lonely man in a lonely place coming to encounter Jesus, the opposite of lonely. Jesus meets him where he is. He puts himself in harm's way to make himself unclean in order that the leper would be unclean. And because of the disobedience of the leper, it's Jesus who becomes lonely in the stead of the leper. Jesus loves you so much that he's willing to trade places with you. If you feel like you're overlooked, Jesus said, I'll become overlooked in order that you could know that you are seen. Feel like you're unworthy? Jesus says, I will become unworthy in order that you might become worthy of the love of my Father. You feel like you're all alone? I will be moved into lonely places so that you could be brought into the family of God. See, Jesus, in encountering this leprous man, became the ultimate friend, being willing to trade places with him in order that the leper could find life and Jesus went to the cross to die. Back in uh, the 1800s, there was a lady named Mary Reed. Mary Reed grew up here in America and I think in New York City. Uh, she loved the Lord God. She loved the Lord and at the age of 30, she left her home in New York and she went uh, to India. She went to India to do missions work in order to bring the gospel to people there. And so as she did missions work for a few years, after a few years she got sick, contracted an illness, had to leave India, um, and then later her desire was to go back as soon as she could. Came back to India, and as she was doing ministry there, one of the trips that she took was to a leper colony at the foothills 
the Himalayan mountains. That's where a leper colony lived, 500 people, and she saw them, and she was so broken over their condition, and she could not forget about them, could not get them out of her mind, so she just prayed, God, they're all alone. No one cares for them. Nobody loves them. Nobody sees them. Would you just send someone to them? Send somebody who would love them and show them the way to you. She said amen, and she left. After she left, she began to notice that there was this weird tingling in her finger, and it began to grow numb. Within a couple of days, she self-diagnosed and then went to a doctor who confirmed her suspicions that she had contracted leprosy. Instead of seeing it as a death sentence, instead of pouting, she rejoiced in the doctor's office that God has heard my prayer that someone would go to the lepers. She was so excited to go back into that leper colony to let them know, I know what you feel. I know what you feel. I'm there. I've been there. I feel your suffering. I feel your pain. I'm right there with you. And so she went back into the leper colony, showing herself as a leper. And, and they said, why would you do that? Why would you come back to us? And she told them about one who saw the suffering of a world that was caught in sin and he wanted so much to go and save the world because he was willing that he came into their situation and took their affliction of sin upon, them, upon himself and ultimately trading places with them. He hung on the cross and he died in order that they could go free. She came and she incarnated the message of the love of Christ in the midst of a leper colony and by the time her life was done, 75% of these lepers had given their lives to Christ. Because they saw a gospel lived out that someone loved me more than my family could ever love me. He was willing to trade places with me that I could find life in his name. My friends, this is our story. This is who we are. That every single one of you, wherever, whenever you come to that point where you just, you realize, I don't, I don't have what it takes. And we throw ourselves at the mercy seat of Jesus. Are you willing, Jesus? Are you willing? Because if you are, I believe you can do this. Jesus, your best friend and my best friend, looks at us and he says, I desire that more than anything else in the world for you to be clean. I want that for you. I long for that for you. Even to the point of trading places with us. Jesus is the friend that all of us need in this life. His love will never fail us. His love will never leave us. Are you sure he wants to be my friend? Like I'm just a middle schooler. I'm just a high schooler. I've been so far from God. I'm unclean. Jesus says, I'm willing. I'm willing to be your friend. Are you willing to be his? Let's pray together. Do you ever identify with the leper? Do you ever feel like you're not good enough? You're not worthy enough? You're not cool enough? You're not smart enough, you're not beautiful enough, you're not worthy enough. The presence of God, he 
He sees you and He loves you and He says, you are my beloved, the apple of my eye. That God would give His one and only Son so that you could be His. He's willing and He's wanting right now to be for you what you so deeply long for Him to be. Let's pray, Lord Jesus, would you be my friend? Here are the things that I struggle with. Here are the ways I feel like a leper. I need you. And as we pray in that way, for some of us in here, pretty sure that for some of us in here, we've never put our trust in Jesus Christ to be our Savior and to be our Lord. We've grown up in church like Eugene. We went to all the different studies, classes, worship services, didn't miss a day. But you don't know Jesus the way that the leper knows this Jesus. You don't know Jesus the way that some of your friends know this Jesus. If your life has not been changed by Jesus, then the best explanation is that you haven't encountered the real Jesus. You've encountered a different Jesus, but the real Jesus will change you. If you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, your trust in Jesus, to be the one to make you clean from all the things you've ever done and to be able to lead you in a way that you have not been able to lead yourself, nor has anyone else been able. Today's your day, my friend. Today, Jesus, not only become your friend, he can become your brother, your savior, your master. All it takes is like the leper acknowledging that you are a sinner that you need his cleansing because you can't clean yourself up by yourself nor make yourself acceptable to God by yourself. You need a savior. Jesus did that by living the life you failed to live, I failed to live, and dying the death that you and I deserve to die. Then he rose again in victory so that we might have the life that is eternal that begins the moment you believe. Jesus is willing to do that now. Can you pray that in your heart? Jesus, I'm a sinner. Come in. Change me. Take me. Make me who you want me to be. Let's pray either that prayer or any other prayer to Jesus, your best friend. Let's spend 30 seconds praying, responding, talking to our friend. Have a date with Jesus at the local church gathering for a few moments, and then we'll continue. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, when this man was observed by doctors, they told him that he was now a leper, a man with leprosy. It was the worst day of his life. And it would only get worse as each day went on. 
He was a living dead, the walking dead, a zombie for all intents and purposes. No hope, no way, no direction, all darkness all the time. But when he encountered Jesus, everything was different. The best day of his life wiped out all the worst days of his life, and every day after that became better and better and better because, Jesus, you are the way. You are the one who makes miracles. You're the one who lights up our darkness because you are our best friend. Father, remind us that you are working when we feel it, when we don't, when we see it, when we don't. Remind us that you are all that and more, worthy of our worship, worthy of our devotion. Thank you for loving us, poor, wretched, miserable, spiritual lepers. But how amazing the grace that saved a wretch like me. We love you because you've loved us first. We worship you because you've considered us the apple of your eye, and we love you more than life. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.